Please turn in your Bibles to Psalm 63. Ron Dunn, a Baptist pastor who's been with us here on occasion, in his book, When Heaven is Silent, tells about an occasion a few years ago when uh, he and three other men, <clears throat> four other men, were in a motel room. These were some of the godliest men he knew. Uh, they were discussing with a publisher what they believed were some of the needs among Christians that needed to be addressed. They took a break, and it says uh, everyone relaxed and started talking off the record. And in a sudden burst of honesty, all four men confessed to a present spiritual darkness in their lives. One admitted he had not felt God's presence in six months. Others talked about their inability to pray and their lack of confidence in what they were doing. They were carrying on, they were preaching, they were witnessing, they were visiting the sick, and yet here was their condition. And now word, all these men were walking in darkness. He said, this was good news to me because I thought that I was the only one who felt like that. Uh, Richard Foster calls this the Sahara of the desert, of the Sahara of the soul. Uh, John of the Cross called it the dark night of the soul. And uh, you're, you're numb to spiritual things. Well, the psalmist, David, was experiencing that type thing in this 63rd Psalm. It may well reflect David's experience when he was fleeing from his son, Absalom, who was seeking to overthrow his kingdom. Uh, notice how the psalm is headed in verse, I mean, the start of the psalm, a psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. Uh, David speaks of his desire for close fellowship with God in verse 1. O God, thou art my God, early will I seek thee, my soul thirsteth for thee, my flesh longeth for thee, in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. Notice his thirst for God's presence there. Uh, my soul thirsteth for thee in a dry land uh, where uh, there is no water. Uh, this longing for God's presence. Uh, he may well have been describing the wilderness that he was in literally, but also is speaking of the wilderness of his soul. Now, you can be in that state as a non-Christian where you're thirsting for God. I'm meeting with a, a man right now. I've been for several months. Who's, he's searching, and he's thirsting, and his life is empty in a lot of ways, and and yet he he is having trouble really making a commitment to Jesus Christ. First, it was a trouble of believing is true, and that's trouble of surrendering, maybe. Uh, but he's thirsting for God. Any, anyone who knows their need of God will thirst. Now, uh, but you can be in this state as a believer, as David was. Uh, I think of two young men that I talked with recently uh, who, in this state. And one, one, it has to do with him having slipped into a state of sin for a period of time. Uh, the other, probably uh, neglect of the means of grace. Uh, it can be due to a, a tough experience 
that you're going through, family, job, health. In the case of Ron Dunn, his son had just committed suicide. Now, um, too many of us maybe have a thirst for other things, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. We're like people traveling through a strange land, travelers, and we see a river and we drink, and we don't inquire whether it might not be poisonous. Uh, that can mess us up. Blessed is the man who thirsts for God. Now, notice the relation David has. He said, O God, thou art my God. Even though he's in this wilderness experience, God is still his God. And he knows that, and he still loves him. Now, he was in a covenant relationship with God. He entered that covenant relationship uh, through uh, the blood of the Lamb, through faith in God's promise to forgive him through the blood of the Lamb. That was the way you did it in the Old Testament, and through surrender of his will. We enter a covenant relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ as the true Lamb of God who died for our sins, God's Son that the other Lamb typified. And uh, when we surrender our wills to Jesus Christ, place our trust in Him to forgive us as a gift based on His death, then we're in a covenant relation. David was in that covenant relation. And God still loved him, just as you still love your child. Uh, uh, when your child is uh, maybe some distance from you or you're out of fellowship, you still love the child. And, oh God, Thou art my God. Top lady who wrote a number of our hymns uh, wrote one that goes like this. Object of my first desire, Jesus crucified for me, all to happiness aspire only to be found in thee. Thee to please and thee to know constitute my bliss below. Thee to see and thee to love constitute my bliss above. Lord, it is not life to live if thy promise thou deny, if thy presence thou deny. Lord, if thou thy presence give, it is no longer death to die. At thirst for God's presence. And he speaks of his vision of God's power in the verse 2. He says, I long to see thy power and thy glory as I have seen thee in the sanctuary. Uh, by the eyes of faith to see God and uh, to experience his presence, to see him at work, his power to help. Uh, he'd, he'd experienced this before, as I have seen thee in the sanctuary. In the past, he had sought God's presence and he'd found it through the means appointed in the sanctuary, in the, in the fellowship of God's people as he went to worship God. And he used the means appointed, the sacrifices, the, the music, the praise, all of this. And uh, he had seen and experienced this. Not that you have to experience it in that way. Through the appointed means, it can be in spite of those means, but those means help and are designed to do so. And one of the prime ways of seeking God is through the fellowship with God's people, through prayer, through the preaching of the Word as we come together. You read of the early church. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, in fellowship, in breaking of bread, that was worship, the Lord's Supper, and so on, worship, and in prayer. And it says, great grace was upon them all, and with great power they gave witness to the Lord Jesus. Uh, the appointed means, and that's, that's 
requires discipline. That requires us to not do some other things in order to do this. Now, he speaks of the greatness of God's love in verse 3. Because thy loving kindness is better than life. Lord, the one treasure of life is to is your love experienced, he says. Thy loving kindness is better than life. Uh, to become aware of and experience God's love, that's such a blessing. makes such a difference. You know, uh, uh, God puts us through trials. He put uh, Israel through a trial in the wilderness. They went through 40 years of trial to humble them, to prove them, to see what was in their heart, to teach them that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. But all the time he was doing that, every day he was providing manna for them. So right in the midst of these trials, here's this evidence of God's loving kindness. We have a dentist here in the church, and uh, one day, a few months back, one of the ladies who worked for him said, uh, Are you planning on being here uh, this Wednesday? He said, Yeah, certainly. She said, Well, uh, because we don't have any patient schedule. And uh, he said, we, We're scheduled for two weeks ahead of that and uh, prior to that, but uh, we don't have anybody scheduled on that day. And he said, Well, I guess some more. You know, people call in. Some will be scheduled. Next day, she said, nobody's called in. Next day, she said, are you going to come in? you going to come in tomorrow? He said, well, we don't have anybody scheduled. No, nobody's scheduled. Well, I'm going to come in. Yeah, I'm going to come in. But he didn't. Because uh, 7 o'clock that morning, he received a phone call from his mother, who's married to Bud Newbold, and Bud Newbold had had a stroke right then. And he lived down the street from his mother, and she needed her son right there, right then. And she needed him all day long. And God knew that. And so God had it where no one scheduled an appointment for that day. Right in the middle of that trial, God says, I love you, Emily. I'm with you. I understand what you're in this. There's a purpose for it. Here's the manifestation of his loving kindness right in the middle of a dark situation. David said, oh, how meaningful that is. Thy loving kindness is better than life. Um, and it generates uh, God's praise in verse 4. It says, thus will I bless thee while I live. I will lift up my hands in thy name. To this God, he is determined to lift up his hands in adoration, in petition, in praise. Uh, now, there's David's desire. And so he resolves, Early will I seek thee. That first verse, early will I seek thee. Since this is so crucial, he's experienced it, he wants it, the, the manifest presence of God in his life, he's determined to seek it. Early will I seek thee. Hudson Taylor founded the China Inland Mission when he was 17 years old. He, he was stumbling around in a relationship to God. He, he felt 
alienated. He couldn't. He just he backslide. He was not growing, and he was thirsty for God. And one day he just stayed home, and uh, he prayed earnestly. And he promised God he'd go anywhere, he'd do anything, he'd suffer whatever would be needed if only God would deliver him from his backsliding and keep him from falling. And he says, never will I forget the feeling that came over me then. Words can never describe it. I felt I was in the presence of God, entering into a covenant with the Almighty. I felt as though I wished to withdraw my promise, but could not. Something seemed to say, your prayer is answered, your conditions are accepted. And that, from that time on, the conviction never left him that he was called to China. He began to prepare himself to go to China. He began to sleep on the floor. He began to eat very plain and simple food. He began to visit the sick. He began to do things to prepare him for that ministry in China that God gave him in an amazing way. Uh, early will I seek thee. Hudson Taylor said, Because your loving kindness and your presence is better than life, Early will I seek thee. David says, I'm thirsty, but I will seek thee. Now, uh, the delight in close fellowship with God. In verse 5, my soul shall be satisfied as with marrow and fatness. The satisfaction that results from this fellowship. Like you, like you had a great meal. You were so hungry and somebody brings you this great meal and you sit down and you just eat it. He said, that's what experiencing this presence of God is like. And uh, the expression of joy resulting in verse 5, uh, My mouth shall praise thee with joyful lips. The satisfaction resulting, the meditation promoting this in verse 6, When I remember thee upon my bed and meditate thee in the night on thee in the night watches, because thou hast been my help, Therefore, in the shadow of thy wings will I rejoice. David says, I, I desire this fellowship. And one thing that promotes it is that as I meditate on the past, as I think about how you've been with me and how you led me and time again, uh, how you brought me through something, I feel like I've been protected all along. I've been walking Along, but this shadow of wings has been over me. Meditation on the Lord's leading and dealing with you in the past. Think about it. Think about how He dealt with you in the past. Goodness gracious. I think of my growing up. I think of coming home drunk. Grew up in a Christian home. Coming home drunk and seeing my dad on his knees. His bedroom is right where I went up the steps. I knew what he's praying for. Praying for his wayward son. I think of him writing to me off in college, telling me he's praying for me. Think of uh, time and again in the Navy Air Force when I faced death stupidly sometimes. God brought me through that. Think of him bringing me to repentance in the service. Think of him bringing me in contact with an Air Force chaplain who explained the gospel to me. Oh, gosh. Think of him bringing my wife to me. You know, we dated four years, and then we broke up four years. And then he brought us back together. Giving me my children. Watching over those children. 
gosh, I could meditate on the Lord's faithfulness and just praise Him all day long. I've been under the shadow of His wings. You've been under the shadow. Think back on how God has led you, how He's watched over you, what He kept you from, what He saved you out of. And you'll praise Him. Meditation promotes this sense of the presence of God and this fellowship with Him. The combination that maintains this fellowship. Verse 8. He says, My soul followeth hard after thee. That's our part. Thy right hand upholdeth me. That's God's part. My soul followeth hard after thee. Here he's determined to pursue after God with all of his heart to do everything he can. Years ago, and I've shared this a number of times, but Howard and Dixie Borland, when they first came to our church and were just really taken off in the Christian life, and they would be at our home often, and somehow we fell in the pattern that whenever they would leave our home, we'd always have prayer together. One night they were getting ready to leave our home, and I said, well, let's pray. And I said, what shall we pray for? And I said, pray for me. My heart is like a block of ice. And they said, you the preacher. I said, I know that's what makes us so bad. <laughs> well, they prayed for me. And then I said to my wife, I said, you know, I feel I've gotten in this state by not pursuing God, by neglecting the means of grace. Oh, I've hit and missed at it, but I haven't really spent time with him in his word and in prayer. And I mean, I'm so numb now, I don't even know if I can do it. Uh, uh, and she said, how can I help you? And I said, well, uh, I think it helped me to discipline myself if you'd get up early in the morning with me. Let's pray together and share together and study together. And she said, sure. So we got did that. And I, it was probably six weeks before there was anything but ice. But then that ice began to melt. My soul followeth hard after thee. You've got to do it. That's your end of it. Thy right hand upholdeth me. That's his end of it. Uh, you know, uh, <clears throat> we trust him to uphold us. First Peter chapter 3, where Peter says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's begotten us again unto a living hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance undefiled and which fades not away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept, you who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation. Thy right hand upholdeth me. We talked about Ron Dunn there. Ron, who was going through that wilderness experience, and he came out of it. He says, as I survey my experience, I don't see any voluntary submission to God no noble sacrifice. Rather, I'm more aware of being acted upon than acting, of being drafted rather than volunteering. Whatever my submission, it was a say-uncle situation to me. What is most amazing about this, it gives me a deep peace because I know God has set His love on me, and whatever my hard-headedness, my hard -headedness, He will not abandon me to myself. He will pursue me with a stubborn love that will not let me go. I wish I could say the initiative was mine that mine has always been the glad surrender. I honestly tried a few times, but I ran out of resolve, out of commitment, out of love. But I didn't run out of Him. Amen.
I didn't run out of him. Thy right hand upholdeth me. That's the combination that maintains this fellowship. Well, you get the description of the fate of David's enemies here. Verse 9, Those that seek my soul to destroy it shall go into the lower parts of the earth. They shall fall by the sword. They shall be a portion for foxes. That's what happens to those who don't get right with God. Disaster. You cannot stand to experience the result of not coming to know God personally. You don't want to experience that. You can't afford to experience that. The portion of God's people, David says, but the king shall rejoice in God. Everyone that sweareth by him shall glory, but the mouth of them that speak lies shall be stopped. What about it? We have seen the different conditions described. My soul thirsts. My soul is satisfied. My soul followeth hard after thee. Where are you in that? Have you experienced the soul satisfaction of fellowship with the Lord? Are you thirsty? What kind of thirst? Never having experienced that satisfaction? Or having experienced it but now dry? Why dry? Pursuing other things? Neglecting needful things here? Going through a trial? Uh, what about uh, really seeking after Him? My soul followeth hard after Thee. Is it worth it? When all created streams are dried, thy fullness is the same. May I with this be satisfied and glory in thy name. Jesus said, The water that I give will be in you a well of water springing up unto everlasting life. Let us pray. As our hearts are bowed, where are you? Are you uh, thirsty with a thirst that has experienced uh, this satisfaction and yet now is in a desert land? Is yours a thirst uh, due to neglect? What would God have you to do? Uh, are you following hard after him? What would you need to do in order to do that? Ask the Lord to show you and tell him right now in your heart that you want to do that, that you, you want to seek him with all of your heart. And that you're looking to Him to uphold you as you do this and bless your efforts. Maybe that you realize your thirst is one because you've never entered into that covenant relationship, never surrendered your will to Christ or placed your trust in Him, but you want to do that. Just pray in your heart like this, Lord Jesus, I'm a dry soul. I need that well of water springing up into everlasting life. I come to you and trust you as my Savior and surrender to you as my Master. Come into my life. Amen.